What up? This is Yinka Diz. Peace, this is Outlaw. And you're listening to the 80 Baby Podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to do things a little bit different, um, which reasons that we'll explain. First of all, we have come up on our five-year anniversary. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I want to say that the podcast officially started in, what, October of 2016? It was it was around that time. Um, I think we're kind of we're a little bit. I, I guess we're a little bit late to that party. But nevertheless, we're going to do some things to I guess celebrate our host, which would be Yinka and myself. And so um, part of this idea was brought on by our guest today, which is Panama Jackson. Say what's up to the people. What's going on, everybody? Glad to be back here in the space with you all. My my favorite podcast, as Spotify proved, <laughs> my Spotify unwrapped proved that y'all are my favorite podcast. And so Panama is actually going to take over hosting responsibilities today because he is one of our most devout listeners, always gives us feedback. We have our separate chat, always talks about every single episode. It's great. But there's so many things that Yink and I and, and I have to say that Panama just has like questions about, right? <laughs> and so when we first started the podcast, the episode zero, I think we talked about like what was the Nuck If You Buck? Uh, but it was the... Yeah. The, um, I forget what the... The moment. other song that was the same I, beat. I forget. Yeah. And yeah. so we we spoke a little bit about like who we were musically and why we were doing the podcast. And throughout the years, we've always teased like little nuggets here and there. But we thought it would be a good idea to just consolidate them all into one place. And so we're going to do something. We're going to go through our top five influential albums for both Yinka and myself. And also go through a little bit of our musical journeys, which I'm not sure how that's going to look. Panama might have some questions or he's going to have some questions for yeah, us. Absolutely. And we're just going to see how that goes. So, yeah, I guess we'll start it off. So, Panama, why don't you talk about uh, why you why you thought to, to, to do this? Yeah. So, as I said, this is my favorite podcast. I listen to every one of y'all episodes. I wish I was part of like 99% of them. I get... <laughs> I listen to I listen to some of the takes that you all have, and I have immediate statements about those, or I want to counter some of the things that you all say, uh, which is the sign of a good podcast, right? When you actively want to be a part of the conversation, so I really enjoy it. Uh, you and plus, you guys really do hit on you know my musical lane, like the music that I know and love the most. Um, but one thing you always do is you all drop little like nuggets in these conversations about things that have happened. Like Yinka will mention that record deal he signed <laughs> that one day, you know, and I'm just like, wait, I want to know more about that. Like, wait, wait, like y'all keep, y'all just jump right past it. And Outlaw over here hates everything from like, there's like a 10 year window of music that Outlaw seems to hate that he never music. fails to mention. But yes, 2005 to, is like one of your least that. favorite years. That's so real. That's where it starts. Yeah. Right. So it's. We'll get into that. Yeah. So like I'm listening to all this stuff and I'm always curious about two things. One, like how you all got to where you are musically, which is something we'll talk about. But. I'm actually interested in like your influences because, for instance, Jinka, you're a musician. I listen to your albums. I support. You know what I'm saying? If you had a show, I'd be there. Um, I've been I've to a show. To, I, yeah, I'm sometimes. sure it was good. Like you know, I listen to I listen to everything that comes out. You know, in, in Outlaw, I know you produce music, and I've listened to it. You used sent to. me some of the stuff. Used to formerly. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's interesting. I think the kind of music that people make and produce tells you a lot about their influences. And I realized when listening to your music, because I don't actually, I can't distinctly pull out what I think might be your influences. Like, I don't even know if I could guess what would be like the five most influential albums 
that you might like if you had to pick five, right? So um, we've had a, a brief conversation about that somewhat like in text. And we talked about it. It was like, you know, here's an opportunity to, t- to learn more about you all because I think you all are very interesting. The way that you all discuss things is mad interesting, but it'd be an interesting way to let your audience and your fans understand a little bit more about who you all are as people, especially musically because you guys are a music podcast. And even though it's hip-hop centric, all the other stuff comes out, I think, in the conversation. Um, especially since Outlaw, you hate everything. So <laughs> Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Got so I was like, I'd be interested in talking to y'all about the top five. Y'all thought it was a good idea. So boom, here we are. So I, what we'll do is kind of go through your top five. We'll start album by album. So you know how you guys do your track by track highlights yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. You talk about it and then you kind of break it down and then you move on. Okay. Go use your format to, to do the top five albums. So, we'll just, so list them all or just list one at a time and go into it? I think one at a time. Yeah, let's all do right. one at a time. So yeah. let's start. Let's go. Uh, so we'll start. Outlaw, we'll start all with right. you. Because I, I, I'm... I'm curious, and I think yours might be the most expansive. Obvious. I, I feel like it could go. I literally have no idea where this could <laughs> you go. So you can't even guess. I, I I'm guessing there's probably a Beatles album in there somewhere. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm guessing there could be. Uh, there's got to be some rock something in there, like like maybe some Led Zeppelin. Maybe 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 not. I don't. This is my point. Like okay, I right, genuinely right. can't pin what I think might be your in your top five. Got you. So, do you have any guesses, Yinka? Uh, I, I would have said a Beatles. I think it's gonna be some like Pink Floyd or some shit. There's definitely gonna be a jazz album. Yeah, Radiohead uh, could be in there. You know, like yeah, it okay. could it could be something. There's definitely like gonna that. be like Bitches Brew or some some like a Miles joint. There's gonna be like a Jimi Hendrix type joint. Yinka, like, Yinka is closer. Yinka is closer. <laughs> I'm not yeah. surprised. I'm not surprised. All right, so yeah. we're gonna start off with the uh, first number. Uh, I'm gonna do this in chronological order. Okay. Right? So the number one is, it should be a very predictable one for y'all. It's a hip hop album. And that is Wu-Tang Clan's debut album, Enter the 36 Chambers, or Enter the Wu-Tang Clan 36 Chambers, right? Now, I've spoken before on the Iron Man podcast about how Iron Man was a very, very influential album for me, right? And I think what that did was really solidify my ear to be like a Wu-Tang listener. But I would be lying if I said that that album was more influential to me than 36 Chambers. Now, my two favorite Wu-Tang albums are Supreme Clientele and uh, Wu-Tang Forever, right? And probably, I think Wu-Tang Forever is my favorite. I mean, I, I was listening to that shit the other day and I just, I fucking love that shit, right? But, 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 Into the 36 Chambers, when I listened to this at the end of 1997, that was when that evoked, that, like, whatever hip-hop spirit I had within me, that's the one that just, like, all of a sudden everything just started to click. Right. And that's one I'm like, oh, my God, like this is what like hip hop could be, because at the time I'm listening to whatever's on the radio. Some things I like, some things I don't like. But Wu-Tang was like, oh, no, this is something raw and gritty. And yes, I had heard the song, you know, I, I think I had briefly heard like, you know, the song Met the Man, Bring the Pain, Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. But like songs like like Fourth Chamber, Shame on a Nigga, like I had never heard them joints before, even Protect Your Neck. I never heard these songs before. And I'm like, wow. And all these different voices. And I'm like, this is what flowing is like. This is what spitting is like. And it's not just something that is like, it's it's easy to die. Like it's palatable without being like radio friendly, but it's also not something that is completely foreign. Like say, I don't know, like, like Lupe sometimes is to me. You mm. know what I mean? Like okay. sometimes I'm like Lupe, like what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? 
And so that's like everybody the one... feels that way about Lupe <laughs> lately for sure. So that's the one that really starts my my musical path, just to like okay. to really really love music in general. Okay, right? RZA is probably the most influential musician I've ever heard because that's the one where I really just start to take music seriously. So I'm not surprised by that. Okay, it's interesting. I think personally, I'm on the complete other end of that. Okay. So I remember when Wu Tang drops. I remember the yeah. first video I saw. Yeah. I remember Protect Your Neck. Because because I'm late. I'm yeah. late. Yeah. And I remember hating it with everything that my soul really? could muster. I listen. Wow. Okay. I might have mentioned on here before. I I hated Wu Tang. Yeah. Early on, like yeah, I right. genuinely hated it. But I also realized when I was actually thinking about albums that influenced me. Not you know not to share here necessarily, but yeah. the things that I like the most are are even from like the 60s and 70s, things that were mixed so well, mm. like they were so heavily, like Boston. I oh, love yeah, yeah, Boston. Yeah. Like Boston's mm. first album is That's one of the most beautifully produced pieces of music because you can hear every single, you can hear every every single like, like uh, oh my God, what do you call it? Fader. Like every uh, every instrument clearly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I love David Axelrod. Like I'm a huge oh, David yeah. Axelrod oh, fan. Yeah. And you know, things were panned. Like everything was very, right. you know, and Wu-Tang was so muddy. That it was just hard for That's me, fair. and I'm a big Dr. Dre fan, right? So mm -hmm. I'm a Dre fan. Mm -hmm. It was very hard for me to listen to it and really understand and appreciate it for what it was because yeah. I couldn't get past uh, the fair. muddiness. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think you know, it's my my perspective is almost the opposite of that. Like I really, really appreciate shit that's pristine, but I also appreciate like people who lean into an aesthetic. I said the same about Dipset, right? Like it's like they sampled shit that like I was like. Like, fuck y'all for sampling this. But at the same time, like, they leaned into it so hard yeah, that yeah. I, like, had to respect it. And I felt yeah. like with Woo, like, they did some shit where it's like, you're clearly bleeding the levels right now. Like, yeah, like right. every like everything's red. And you just said, fuck it. I'm just going to put it out like that. And I I respected it because it was so different. So Yeah, I mean, yeah. look, for what your point is about music, that's why I love Wu-Tang Forever so much. Because I feel like all the things that RZA didn't do well in his first run of albums, by the time, because especially after watching the uh, Wu Tang Saga season two, we learned we understand that like, you know, Iron Man comes out in 1996, but chances are RZA made that shit in like 1993, right? And so essentially, yeah, he's putting all these albums together and they're having to run, but he's spending five years, four or five years, like actually learning how to mix properly. And I listened to that Wu Tang Forever album again. I'm just like, wow, like at the time in 1997. It's just like this is just so clean. I don't right? think RZA mixed that album, and 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 I think oh, and I didn't? think I don't think so. And I okay. think the difference, right, is um, when they did Wu Tang Forever, they moved into a mansion in yeah. California, right, yeah. and they were working out of like the nicest studios yes. in yeah, California, yeah, yeah. and they had a crazy budget, right. So mm -hmm. I think that's the reason why it's different. Well, it's uh, so it's not just the mixing though. It was like the way he was kind of like layering a lot of these. It's a cleaner you know, album. It's a way, much, much, it's a very cleaner, much cleaner album, cleaner. just in general, all right. around. Yeah. But at the same time, too, when I am what 14, 15, however many years old, like I don't mm. really, I'm not really paying attention to yeah. this shit. Like I don't, I don't really know. Um, you know, I, I got a boombox. I don't have like these nice ass <laughs> headphones and a stereo. Right, like right. I. We have a we have a 1984 Dodge Caravan with a little fucking CD player and some crap ass speakers. Like I don't, right? You know. Right. And then if I go to the party, it's just like loud boom shit, like whatever. Like I don't yeah, yeah. I don't start to appreciate those things until I get a little bit older. Which is okay. why 36 Chambers is not. It's probably not even in my top 25 albums ever. Mm -hmm. Right? It's just it's the most influential one. Like yeah, that's the yeah. one that started it. For me. And that's what I why well, I think this is such an interesting conversation, right? Because 
if you ask me what the five best albums are, and oh, you yeah. ask me what my five most influential albums are, they're, they're, it's going to be completely right. different. Completely different. Right? Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. But I, I that makes sense. All right. Right. That makes sense. So number two will also make sense, and that is. Notorious B.I.G.'s debut album, Ready to Die. Okay. And so the reason why this is so influential is because while I'm getting into Wu-Tang, late 97, 98, I think I had actually heard the Ready to Die album probably like around this time too because my brother was playing in a car. And I remember that song. Now I actually remember my brother is the first person who played me Give Me the Loot, right? But it wasn't until like at least a year or so later, two years later on my own when I actually went back to go and digest this album, right? And so by the time I'm actually listening to Ready to Die, it's probably either like late 98 or 99, sometime around that time frame. I've also gone back to listen to to, to MCs like Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, Cool G Rap, KRS-One. Hello, Cool J, and I'm like, nah, you're 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 a, you're a level below these guys. So I didn't pay him that much time, right? And then I'm also getting into things like Black Thought, The Roots, um, starting to get a little bit into Nas and Jay Z. But like, I'm writing at this point. And then when, like, I always I always tell this to folks who like, when people have a certain opinion about an MC, and it's like, I, I get that, like, it's all very subjective. You can have whatever flavor, whatever flavor you like, right? But for me, one of the things that I've always appreciated, and I'm and I'm very consistent across the board, regardless of what the art form is, is like how difficult it is, and how how like unique you are in coming up with something. I just I it gives me a lot of points, and it was very clear when I'm writing rhymes and when I'm listening to other rhymes from from other artists, and then I listen to Biggie and I'm like, whoa, like you are clearly way better at this than everybody else. Like you're just you just are. Right. I think the only people on planet Earth who are good, who are as good at rapping at the young age of Biggie is Nas and Eminem. I think Biggie's better than Eminem. You can make the argument that Nas at the time, at the age, was probably might have been better than Biggie. But maybe. But it's just like the way he put the like the way he 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 did his flow with like these, these metaphors and these double entendres and how everything like a child can understand this. But like it takes a really intelligent person to actually write something that is so simple to understand. Yet like how did you ever think to say this? Like yeah, so just in terms of just understanding lyrical quality, I have to give it to to to, to Biggie's Ready to Die. And I like Life After Death is a better album than Ready to Die. But yet, despite that, Ready to Die probably is still in my top five hip hop albums. Um, I just I love it so much, and like, you know, like especially that song like "Give Me the Loot." Like how he's just he like he's just shouting on the mic, and everything is still so clear and pristine, and it's just like, I want to fucking jack this nigga right now. Like, <laughs> I just want to beat his ass, and it's like, yo, I've been robbing motherfuckers since the slave ships with the same. Cl- it's like, yeah, goddamn, this nigga is nice, yo. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm, I'm getting worked up because that's how, that's just how influential this album is for me, just right, lyrically. Right. So, yeah, thoughts. And again, I didn't like Ready to Die when it first came out. <laughs> like it was, in much like Wu, I came around. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it wasn't really Biggie. I just hated the beats. Yeah. Or I like, I liked, I liked the the more commercial. I love Juicy. Juicy yeah. was is still one of my favorite hip hop records of all time. Like gotcha. I love Juicy. I loved it from the first time I heard it. I loved Unbelievable. I love suicidal thoughts. I love respect. You know, there's but something about ready to die. I think it was it's the same thing. Like the early in that early in that time frame, it was like Pete Rock and CO Smooth for me yeah. and everything from the West Coast. 
which yeah. is very mixed, much different. And, and from down south, down so south, it was, yeah, and yeah. As a southerner, you know, it was where you got it. But that also made sense. I'm I'm somebody who is as impressed with Biggie's talent today as I was. Oh yeah, back even then. more. Like, so. It's yeah, still. Sure. I get mad that Biggie's dead. Like yes. I, I actually, um, actually I guess. get mad about Feel the it. Same about him and Pac. Actually, yeah. 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 Like yeah. it really, it really still bothers me when I listen to. Sometimes when I listen to like songs, and I'm just like, I can't believe we lost this dude. Yeah. I'm 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 actually happy that you have two hip hop albums. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I didn't actually think you were going to. Yeah, I, I, I was yeah. so I, once I, you I'm said Wu Tang, I was like, okay, I, I get yeah. that, but I'm I'm surprised that we got two. Right, right. Because five. I'm doing this in chronological order, right? Okay. And so, you know, obviously, high school is very very formative years, and so I was only listening to hip hop around this time. And so, yeah, I have to give it to to to, to these two albums. Um, now these are the only hip hop albums on the list. Uh, spoiler alert! But yeah, I, I I had to. So yeah. So the next one we're gonna get into is um, Miles Davis, kind of blue. And so Yinka, you were close here. You said bitches brew, and and I get that. I get that. But it's gonna be Miles Davis, kind of blue. And I think this is when I don't know early '60s. I forget exactly when it came out. But um, it's weird. I, I kind of want to say the Finding Forrester soundtrack, just because when that movie came out, like there were. The, the, and the soundtrack is like all Miles Davis from a different, it's kind of like the late 60s, early 70s period, right? And that kind of like sparked my interest in jazz a little bit. Um, but this was around the time, it's end of high school, early college. And I'm starting to get into like James Brown, The Spinners, Old Soul. I'm trying to like slowly starting to figure out like sampling and things like that. And so my mom kind of picks up on this and brilliant move on her part. She buys me Miles Davis Kind of Blue for Christmas. Not knowing how good that album is, but just like, hey, this is supposed to be a really good jazz album. Listen to it. And I listened to it. And talk about like getting something right on the first listen to it. I fell in love with that album almost immediately. Like it's an amazing piece of music, right? But the thing is, I didn't actually know just how praised this album is. It is considered the greatest jazz album, modern jazz album of all time. It is. Like that's just how... But at this at the time when I'm starting to get into jazz music, I didn't realize that. I just know that I really like this album. And we're getting into college. And so everybody is talking about like, oh, their favorite music, this and that. And I remember I had a conversation with, with Imhotep, right? And Imhotep was like, yo, go through your top 10. And I think I had like, I think I had like Black on Both Sides at number one and then Kind of Blue number number two or something. Or Ready to Die was somewhere up there. But like Kind of Blue was in there and it was very high at the top. And he's like, all right, you're just... You're trying to be the extra. You're trying to be yeah, you're being the dude. <laughs> and I'm like, jazz nah, there, man. Yeah. Like, I love this album. And I'm getting into more jazz albums at the time. None of them, even though I enjoy them, none of them are qu- hitting quite as hard as, as um, Kind of Blue. The only one that gets close to that is actually John Coltrane's Giant Steps, which is another incredible masterpiece, right? But then I actually start to, now I'm starting to read more about music and go through like all the, that's the thing about jazz albums. Like the cliff notes, the liner notes on jazz albums, nothing, nothing matches liner notes on jazz albums, right? And so, you know, now I'm starting to understand just how good this album is. And so when I go back to revisit it, I'm like, oh yeah, and I'm picking up on this. And I realized that James Brown got his template for funk based off of So What? All that is, is you, you just picked up the beat a little bit, add a funky drum, and like you're good. And so that album, not only is it one of my favorite albums, but it's also very influential because it just it opened my mind up to basically to jazz and to understanding like musical structures in a way that were not that hip hop doesn't really present, right? We talk, I talk a lot about on this podcast how like song structures is very, very formulaic. 
jazz is, is free flowing. Yeah, when you when you start to understand, you pick up and it's like, oh no, this is what they're doing here. Their structures are just are just are just different. And I can't explain jazz the way someone else can, right? Like when Miles Davis said to Nancy Reagan, like, yeah, you know, I changed the course of music five times. The what funny did you do? thing about this is he probably doesn't know why we chuckled right, about Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan but... came into the picture. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll explain that in a minute. Right, we'll explain that. <laughs> but like when he's explaining to her why he's at the White House, because he changed the course of music for five times, right? Like, I don't understand how he's actually done that because, you know, I'm, I'm born in 1983. He's doing this in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, right? Nevertheless, though, it just opened up a whole different world. So when you talk about Bitches Brew, it's hard for me to, to label that as more influential than, than Kind of Blue. But you're on the right track. You're definitely on the right track. And um, that, especially when I started to get into it, this is when I'm now like college years, I'm starting to sample. And so even this allowed me to kind of branch into to rock and roll a little bit. Um, spoiler alert, there's no rock and roll. Well, it's close to... Maybe there's one exception, but yeah, there's, there's no Beatles on the most influential list. Yeah, yeah. So I'm we'll, surprised by that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So that's uh, that's Miles Davis kind of blue. I am not surprised at all by that. Well, I'm I'm surprised I didn't know what was coming. But what yeah. I will say is, I think like most of us, hip hop, you you didn't get there the same way. Hip hop opened my eyes to jazz. Yeah. Jazz changed my life. Right, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, jazz. Yeah, yeah. With jazz opened up, I stopped listening. I kind of went through some. Like, I stopped listening to hip hop so much because I wanted to hear all the jazz albums. I had, exactly. I was like, I got to go through like thousands of albums. And it's it's to, impossible. To under, and, and, it's and impossible. I started digging into different labels from Blue, like There's Atlantic, so all this stuff, and started understanding albums. who was doing what, mm-hmm. and started understanding how bands were put together. Yeah. So, I get that because even in my own listening, like. I love I love kind of blue and in a silent way like those are yeah. I, I oh, almost always listen to those albums together like I, when I go from one to the next one because you gotta it just get feels the, the the full sessions for in a silent way the full, I, I have them I, I have got oh, I, got I got that and um so I get that like I, yeah. I, I I totally understand why that would be such an influential album for you because it, it just it hits man like yeah. and that just it just like jazz opens you up man it like does. it really shows you a different side of music mm-hmm. um in a way that Kenny G could never. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's interesting. Um, I I knew a Miles joint was gonna be yeah, on there. To, I to. think I think what's interesting to me is like the differences in terms of like my musical road and you guys' musical road because I've heard many people say what y'all are saying about jazz, mm. and I just didn't have that experience. Yeah. Like mine was soul, funk, and soul. Mm. So yeah. you know, I got into West Coast that was is all funk, right? Yes, I got into West Coast funk. music first. So then, I, then you know, George Clinton and Parliament and all that. Yeah. Um, Brick and everything. Oh, then on the yeah. other side, you know, I got into all these these soul samples. And so then I, I super went down that path. Mm-hmm. But I never really explored jazz crazy. Yeah. So, like, I don't have a jazz album on my on gotcha. my list. But that's really, that's 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 interesting that yeah. it's not Bitches Brew one. Yeah. And that, you know, that album I mean, is Bitches Brew, I mean, it's... it's, it's yeah. I don't it's, love that album. As it's much a very as influential it is, album. It, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't love that yeah. album as much, but oh, I love yeah. the the uh, studio sessions. Corrado it, is one of my favorite. It's albums. his most polarizing, though, right? Mm, I think it's become less polarizing. I feel like people are are either like "Bitches Brew" is the most amazing album <laughs> of all time, or like. Yeah, his worst album is this album called Bitches Brew. Like, I, no one's going to yeah. say it's his worst album, but I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, that. yeah. Um, what's the, the Nancy Reagan? Why is that Why is that funny? <laughs> I'll let Panama explain it. He's he's the culture critic here. So, <laughs> Did something happen recently, recently? Well, yes. <laughs> yes. Recently, Nancy Reagan was trending on social media as the throat goat. 
Because somehow, I don't know exactly what started it, but somebody dug up. Well, I guess, oh, it was like, um, it was like this, this set of pictures where somebody was saying that Madonna was like slutty and Nancy Reagan was considered like at the same, <laughs> roughly the same age, Nancy Reagan was considered this paragon or whatever. Right. But they're like, but what y'all don't know is that Nancy Reagan basically used to be everybody's favorite, favorite topper. In Hollywood, like it she was, was an, known. Was, I think it was an excerpt from someone's yeah. memoir. Yeah, it was. It's, it's a memoir about her, or or uh, a memoir like, yeah, about yeah, her. Or lady. Lady. That makes sense. Though. I mean, Ronald Reagan. And they they said that she used to go from trailer to trailer yeah, yeah, in yeah, Hollywood. Like people were you know. excited about her. Like she was literally <laughs> like considered in anywhere. Like she would just be down for it anywhere. <laughs> oh, so wow. it's like th- she starts trending. On social media, it's like Nancy Reagan throat goat. Like, <laughs> the greatest thing about that is that Too Short has bars from nineteen eighty nine about, 1989 about, about, about Nancy and, Reagan. And I always just assumed because you know Easy E and all these niggas would make up these silly stories about women, but that might actually be a true story. Yeah, it was. It, or right, based it's, on a true story. It was. It was. Somebody pulled the lyrics, and you're reading this like, "Wow, like, goddamn, too maybe. short." Tried to tell everybody back in '89. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> I mean, apparently, Hollywood knew, <laughs> but you know, she, you know. Anyway, but, just uh, say no, man. <laughs> and so somebody actually tried to change her Wikipedia. Like, just say yes, Nancy Reagan. <laughs> yeah. And it was. It was just a mess. Oh, but it was funny. You know, it was yeah. like it's the reason the internet exists. They've been going like crazy that. on Twitter about this. Oh, so, gotcha. yeah. It's wonderful. It's terrible, but it's wonderful. You I love Black saying? Twitter. Man. It's the greatest. <laughs> the greatest place on earth. Interesting. Yeah. So my number. My number four is kind of gonna s- skip over the the rock era, right? I'm going to go with uh, Fela Kuti's Expensive Shit, right? And the reason why I'm picking this album mainly is obviously because of uh, uh, Watson No Get Enemy, right? And so in 2006 and 2007, um, obviously I'm listening to a lot of rock music, but I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm downloading like jazz albums. Any, any jazz album that sounds interesting, like I'm trying, to, I'm trying to download it. And on this one forum that I'm going to, someone throws in uh, uh, the expensive shit, Water No Get Enemy. And I'm like, Fela Kuti, like, who is this? What the fuck? I got some Nigerian friends. That sounds like a Yoruba name. And so I'm listening to Water No Get Enemy and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Where has this been my entire life? Holy shit, right? And so that kind of starts me down the whole Afrobeat path. And if you were in D.C. circa 2008 to 2013, you were going to the Afrobeat parties. If you were into this, you were going to the Afrobeat parties put on by uh, Lunchbox Theory, right? Shout out to Allison Howe, Christine Dooling, and DJ Underdog, right? And so, but I never would have got there if I didn't listen to, to if I didn't get into Fela Kuti. And so after what I thought Underdog was the one who put no, you on the Fela, actually. No, it's crazy. I, it, was, yeah. it was me, it was my own musical taste led me to underdog okay right? got you and so now this enters a whole time period where i'm starting to go back and listen to like you know george ben and all the brazilian music and mm-hmm. and just like random different salsa brazilian sounds and different so african amazing. sounds right and yeah. then obviously i get on to the underdog at the afrobeat parties and then i go to the world cup and i get into house music right and so i think all that starts because of water no get enemy fella kuti's expensive shit Musically, I mean, look, there's other, there's probably other Fela albums that musically I think resonate with me more. For example, my favorite is actually the LA Sessions. And that's like his first major one that he did in like 1969. I fucking love that shit, right? Um, that's probably my favorite Fela album. But again, Expensive Shit is the one that opened, like it, it, it opened the doors to an area of my life that like I will always cherish, right? And like the reason why I got into DJing was because of, of house music from South Africa. 
I'm not sure if my if my, I'm not sure if I ever get there if not for my experience with 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 Fela Kuti and Afrobeat because Underdog, while he started doing all all these Afrobeat records and it was all on vinyl, he started getting into more digital and he was playing a lot of the contemporary sounds from Africa that were not that the Nigerians were not providing, right? So basically, like P Square was hot, right? But like that was kind of too commercial. He's finding all these random deep cuts. And some of the South African joints are in that as well. And so that's where I, you know, anyway, all those experiences start from one place. And it's when I first heard Watu No Get Enemy. So, yeah. Man, let me tell you something. Fela is probably the artist that I was most mad to discover. Yeah. Because I was so pissed that I didn't have this discovery earlier. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess it happened in my life when it was supposed to. Uh, like a lot of musical discoveries. Some woman I know was like, you ever heard of Fela? I was like, I have not. And I went to a CD Depot in College Park one day and I picked up a Fela Kuti's The Black President Best yeah. Of album. And I started listening to it and it took me a second. You know, like you start listening to something. I was like, I don't, you know, I like the, I didn't get it. I did hear like some samples. I was like, oh, I, okay, that's where I came from. But there's a song like uh, ITT Part 2. And I remember listening to that and be like, oh my God, this is the most amazing. Now, until you get to the keyboard, the keyboards are terrible on some of the, I mean, some of the worst keyboards of all time. But the spirit of it, I loved so much, and it opened up everything. So, Water Noga Enemy, like, uh, oh, like I could, I literally have like, um, I tried to get every single Fela album yeah. on CD that I that that I could because, which is hard because I mean there's a lot and it's like two songs per album, but he ended up becoming for me one of the the artists I sampled the most. I would pull so many parts out of Fela's, yeah, but not even just like drums and stuff, but like like a. Uh, 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 eight second bar, 11 minutes into the song, you know, like pull one little part. Um, man, I love Fela. I was I was so mad it took forever, so happy to discover Fela because well, really changed so much for me. When did you discover Fela? This has to be in like 2005. Okay. Yeah. So so I discovered him 2006, 2007. Y'all sound right? like Columbus right but now. But here's cool. the thing, though. When, <laughs> and I'm still mad about he's, it. He said, we discovered, we discovered Phila in 05. His but, album came out in 77. But here's the yeah. thing. There was definitely a segment, particularly that Brooklyn, you know, uh, Medina and, and most death samples, Fela on, on Black on Both Sides. Like, they knew who Fela were, right? The rest of the world outside of Africa, I, I feel like a lot of them didn't really know Fela. And I feel like at least in the United States, right, the Western world on the whole, right around that time, 2005 through 2010, Fela kind of like had a, like a, a, a um, not a renaissance or whatever it is. Like, it was, because I mean, even the play comes out yeah, like exactly. 2009, 2010-ish. I went to go yeah. see it in 2010, had to be, um, in New York. And then it came down here to D.C. and I saw it again down here in D.C., uh, there, there was, there was a time when Fela kind of just blew up. Yeah, and then there were and all these people, all these DJs started doing like Fela tribute albums and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and then you started getting Afrobeat bands coming out. The, the internet, Warworks. man, the internet yeah. changed it, right? The internet yeah. put uh, uh, the ability to learn about all this art. Like I used to, um, like Soul Size, the blogs like Soul Size. I used to mm -hmm, follow mm -hmm. all these music sites. Yeah, I remember and Soul, Size. Soul Size used to put me up onto a lot yeah, of stuff. A lot of the Soul to, albums I, I got. To distinguish yeah. between like. Philly Soul and Northern yeah, yeah, Soul. Yeah. Like that's how that's that's, that site actually is what helped me understand how to distinguish okay. the different types of music and different types of soul mm, and stuff like yeah, that. But I that like one of those block. sites is where obviously, like I said, there was a woman who put me up on a Fela and she kind of 
like she mentioned I went and bought the album, but then I started like digging in and I started noticing him on other websites. I'm like, okay, so I'm late to this party. And then I started hearing like deep cuts on stuff. And that's when I started digging into trying to get his whole catalog, um, which I think I actually have digitally the entire Fela Kuti catalog. I have a lot of it. If not, um, I have it. a lot of it, yeah. But no, I, I completely get the, the Fela thing. Like I, 100%. Word. I mean, I'm Nigerian, so it's like, you know, um, I think my my fella journey is actually funny because it's, um, you know how like, and I don't know if y'all have the same experience, but like, my parents aren't music people. So they have like, each of them have like maybe three artists that they love. And they listen to, to those same three yep. artists, same songs over and over again. And so it's like, you know, and it's like some shit where it's like, you know, you wake up on a Saturday morning and there's loud music playing and it means you have to clean the whole house, right? So you, it almost makes you like, by by a trigger, you just, you're, you're triggered by by the, this music. So all of this, the music that my parents like loved, I, I didn't, I didn't like it. I rebelled against it. You know how yeah. when you're a kid, like you, you, you know, for the most part, I mean, my, my mom loved Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. So you can't, you can't hate right. those things. I'm black. But, <laughs> but you know, my dad, my dad liked, um... He likes he liked Phil Collins. Okay. He liked Michael Bolton. Those are his white guys. My dad. And liked then Phil and Michael then he Bolton likes... is a fan favorite amongst black people, man. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but Michael he, he, Bolton, man. And it was the same like three songs, and he would just. <laughs> um. And then he loved <laughs> he, he loved uh of course, um, Bob Marley. Yeah. All, all, and Peter Tosh. And okay. then and then Fela was the the African the Afrobeats yeah. you know what I'm saying the Afrobeat uh, you know guy so you know I I listened to a lot of Fela in my house growing up but it'd be the same yeah. two or three songs Water No Get Enemy being one of them Lady. and I and I heard it Shaka I heard it a million <laughs> times you know so it's like I didn't I didn't seek that music when I when I when I you know kind of had my musical journey I didn't seek it because I already knew it you know I mean. And, and and it's funny, like when in this resurgence that y'all are talking about, people were like, "Yo, Fela's the Bob Marley of Nigeria, right?" Like, and he kind of really is in a way, right? He's he's our national treasure, our you know musical national treasure of Nigeria. So, um, you know, when this whole big "Oh, we love Fela" thing happened, you know, I reconnected with his music, but I kind of always knew it. Like, I always it was always playing somewhere. You go to some auntie's house or something, and Fela's music would be playing, right? So. Um, that that's kind of my experience with it. So I, you know, when when you know Lunchbox, uh, you know, Theory folks did their thing, and and you know the whole nine, like it was reconnecting with that kind of music yeah. for me. Yeah. So the the fifth and final album, uh, I guess we'll call this a rock album, although it, I guess it's more like industrial rock, and that is um, Ghosts from Nine Inch Nails. You probably. I'm surprised you didn't see this one coming. I'm. I. You know what? Now that you say that, I it can. Makes sense, okay. Right? Yeah, is, it does is make this sense. This the the thing with the the, the little Nas X yes. sample on it. Yeah, okay. That's that's track number sixteen on this two, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Don't give me the line. Yeah. yeah. So wait, so, is it Nine Inch Nails isn't rock? I don't. Alright. So don't know so about that. okay. So this album comes out in 2008. Okay. I don't discover this album until like 2013, 2014. Right. And when I do discover it, like it, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. So Nine Inch Nails, it's essentially it's Trent Reznor. And Trent Reznor starts making music late 80s, early 90s. And yes, like it's, it's rock, but it's also like there's a lot of like, um, it's like industrial rock because it's a lot mm. of like digital computer, okay. computer uh, sounds. Uh, okay. And Electronic pretty, type of. Yes. Okay. And he's making the music by himself and he's singing on it. And then when he goes to perform, like he'll hire like musicians, right? Kind of like what Prince used to do. 
And so in 2006 or seven, like, uh, look, a lot of rock artists from the 90s, they either, they either try to evolve or they they just they faded into obscurity, right? And then they just, they just do their shows with their music that people love and whatever. Well, Trent Reznor is like, you know, he's a musician. He's an artist. He's going to change. And when he started coming out with music in like 2005, 2006, I actually kind of liked it. It was like bite the hand that feeds you or whatever. And people were like, oh, this isn't the Nine Inch Nails that we love. So this is whack. But I was like, it's, it's kind of cool. So he comes up with, with Ghost in 2008. And it is a, basically it's a free album. You can buy it if you want to, but you can also download it for free. Not only that, you can sample and do anything you want to do with the record, which is probably why Lil Nas X thought he could sample it. The problem is, is that once you publish it and make money from it, you owe Trent Reznor a check, which is what he did, which is, Smart. I think he got like 30 million or something like that, Ooh. right? It's something crazy. Wow. But he just wanted to, to, to put all these sounds together. So essentially what it is, is it's, um, it's two discs. There are 36... There are 36 songs. Each disc has 18. And it's a side A and side B to a disc. So it's like, it's like Ghost 1, Ghost 2, Ghost 3, Ghost 4. And the tracks are literally, they're just called track 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, through 36. And there's just like these different, like some of them are rock. They're a little electronic. They're a little like whatever. The reason why I even got into this is because in 2010, 2011, I started really getting into film. One of my favorite movies is the girl with the dragon tattoo directed by David Fincher, right? Well, David Fincher used Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to do his score. But he also did that for the, the movie that, he, that came out the year earlier, which was The Social Network, which is the first time Trent Reznor had done that. They won an Academy Award for Best Original Score. But at the time, I'm not really paying attention to things like that. So over the years, I love this movie, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I, I watch it all the time and I get more invested into the music. So I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to buy the soundtrack. And I'm like, so then I see like, oh, he comes out with Gone Girl and Trent Reznor did the score for that too. I was like, oh, so now Trent Reznor, wait, Nine Inch Nails, he's doing all this stuff. So I was like, well, let me go. Apparently, Ghost influenced uh, the social network. So now I'll go let me listen to Ghost. So now I go listen to Ghost and I'm like, holy shit, like, this shit like changed my life. So now I've got Ghost, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and the Social Network and Gone Girl soundtrack all on one disc playing in my car. Like, and, like still, I still have that MP3 disc in my car and I will still listen to like, this is my Reznor playlist. And so now like when I get it, when I get really excited about like new music that's just like kind of weird and experimental, it all has to do with this Ghost album. And even though it wasn't the first one I heard, it's the one that inspired David Fincher to hire Trent Reznor. And now, like, he's making his bread doing scores. Right. Right? Like, Panama, I know you can speak on this because we've talked about this album before. Yeah, we have talked about the album. Yeah. yeah. I don't have a... I don't... I don't... Look, it didn't change my life nearly the same way it did, <laughs> yeah. it did, did for you. I'm yeah. familiar with it. We did have a conversation about yeah. it. I remember when Lil Nas X... Probably right. because of Lil Nas X, you know, you pointed it out and then we were... I was like, oh, yeah. I remember reading about this song and then we talked about the album, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I love Nine Inch Nails. Like, it's hard not to when you yeah. really start getting into music. I I was more into the softer stuff in the in that 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 era, like the Goo Goo Dolls. Like, I really okay. enjoyed yeah, yeah, the Goo yeah. Goo Dolls, but I was more of like a like Third Eye Blind. Like, I love okay. that. That was more my like the, the the built for MTV, but 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 oddly depth. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like Third Eye Blind had a lot of depth to what they were doing. So, like, that yeah. kind of stuff. But, yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I mean, I didn't really get into a lot of the rock music from the 90s. I'll turn, my brother was listening to it. And I just kind of like, yeah, I'm done listening to stuff you're listening to. I, I got my boombox. I'm going to listen to black music, right? So, I didn't, really, I didn't really care about Nine Inch Nails in the 90s either. 
Um, in fact, I I'm not even all that familiar with his early '90s catalog stuff. I don't I don't care. Like he's making music now that I like. I'm going to listen to the stuff that I like. Like I'm good, you know. Right. Any any never heard it. Um, I don't know shit about Nine Inch Nails. I probably heard the songs before, but just not even familiar. That's gotcha. you. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. There's a ton of rock music that I think that. You can tell like certain producers start digging into their rock bag heavy. Like they yeah. they moved out of the soul jazz lane and started going. Be, um, I think Kanye West did this too. Uh, Just Blaze was heavy. Into, I feel like, uh, but, but I feel like the, the rock from that era is is prog rock, right? So 50s, 60s, 70s, progressive rock, right? Like 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 the the Just Blaze Kanyes that y'all talking about, the, yeah. the shit that they were sampling, which yeah. is very different from like this. Well, like, even I'm thinking of stuff like Nine like Toto, um, yeah. like Africa. Like hold the line, like well, not well. Yeah, they did Africa, which, which I actually really like. <laughs> it got sampled by Nas. <laughs> yeah, I actually really like that song. But yeah. um, it just sounds melodically it's beautiful. But you know, mm. like um, like Toto, like uh, toe the line, like for for MOP, like there was a lot mm-hmm. of rock mm-hmm. being sampled yeah. by MOP yeah, yeah. because of the heavy guitars, like yeah, MOP, exactly. like guitars, right? Yep, so yep. you could tell they were like, all right, well, we got to go to a place that's gonna give us that energy. Mm-hmm. They started going to that, and so that that's actually how I discovered a lot of that rock music too, gotcha. listening to certain hip hop. Like more high energy, right, right. You know, like just the 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 producers who liked who needed guitars for their sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. makes sense. But yeah. uh, any surprise exclusions? I guess we no Beatles. I'm just no surprised Beatles. there's no Beatles album on there, yeah. and you know so, that was that's what I, I was expecting. So real quick on this, so the the reason why it was it was tough to do it is because, so I grew up listening to a lot of classic rock because my my parents did mainly my dad, right? They were listening to whatever was in the 80s, but mainly like. You know that a lot of classic rock, but like I said, when it got when I got my boombox in '94, I rebelled against that, and so it wasn't until in the summers I was working, um, I was working uh, as an electrician. I'm working with a lot of blue collar folk, right? And so they're listening to they're not going to listen to the country station because that's going to drive people nuts. So they're going to listen to the classic rock. They're either going to listen to DC 101 contemporary or they're going to listen to the the classic rock station. And when they're listening to this stuff, I'm like. Oh, I remember all this. Like, I I kind of grew up on this music. It's like it's not that bad. So when I do finally like get into classic rock, like which album am I going to pick? And it's all like, is it going to be Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club? Like, is it going to be the White Album? Is it going to be Abbey Road? Like, I don't I don't really know. Is it going to be you know um, Are You Experienced from Jimi Hendrix? Is it going to be Zeppelin One or Zeppelin Four? Is it going to be something from Credence like Jethro Tull's Aqualung? Like, I don't I don't really. I don't really know. Like, it's hard to pinpoint any of these albums to say specifically this is an influential one because there's no album I listened to that said, hey, you need to listen to all of this. What what kind of happened was it's just like, hey, I'm listening to a bunch of different music that I remember. It kind of sounds good. I was going to buy everything and just and listen to it all at once. And it's hard to pinpoint one album that's just like, this one is more influential to the other ones, especially when there's no album I heard that kind of opened my my ears musically. Whereas when I'm listening to 36 Chambers, yes, Cream was on the radio, but I'm like, this is opening up my ears. When I'm listening to, to Ready to Die, yes, I knew Big Papa, I knew Juicy. But like, those aren't the, the most lyrically challenging songs. They're not bad, but they're also like, like they're not teaching me anything, right? When I listen to Fela Kuti, Expensive Shit, Watanoga Enemy, it's like, it's like, it's just like, wow, where has this been? Holy shit. And there's no rock album that, that really does that for me, except for Nine Inch Nails Ghost, which we want to call it rock, we can call it rock. But that's one of the more the more later ones. And I didn't even listen to that album maybe until like 2013, 2014. 
So yeah. So that's that. I feel the same way about 70s soul, right? Like it's my it's my favorite genre. I mean, y'all are in, in one of the rooms of my house and we're we're sitting in a pile of vinyl, right? So like <laughs> my my favorite genre is 70s soul, 77, 76, 77 is my favorite favorite years. Uh but I'm not going to have an album on my list that's a 70s soul album for the same reason, right? It's like I can't pinpoint a specific album that's the one that I always go to, you know? Um so yeah, so to recap that's uh uh, Wu-Tang Clan, 36 Chambers, Ready to Die, Miles Davis, Kind of Blue, Fela Kuti, Expensive Shit. Yeah, so upon hearing the list, uh, anything uh, anything that you learned? You know, your list makes so much sense to me. I'm going to okay. say that. Like, as I, as I told you, I think I, I the one, your calling card is how you hate shit. <laughs> and uh, and it's it's jokes, but it's also true. Like you know, you you very you're very you're very specific about like this time frame. But the albums that you pointed out make a lot of sense for me in terms of knowing you in the way that I think about how you think about music. So for instance, like Fela made a lot of sense. Like I I wouldn't have guessed that. Um, but then when you said it, I'm like that makes so much sense to me. And especially because I mentioned that I've listened to the music that you've made. Like I asked you to send me some. You know, you sent me your production in. And wh- however you feel about it, actually, I really enjoyed it. Like I, I like I, I like the beats that you that you sent me because none of it felt hip hoppy to me. It felt musical. Most of it, most of it felt like more like music than it did hip hop. And you know that's that's something that happened to me when I started producing. Like once I started leaving samples alone, I started trying to figure out what what what, what does music sound like if I'm just like left to my own devices. And I deviated so far from hip hop. The only thing that was left was maybe the drums. But everything else was like I could I could feel myself pulling from these random influences, like heavily heavy jazz, especially like very heavy jazz fusion. Like I started making, it, I started living in a jazz fusion world. I'm like, damn, this is what I would do if I'm like if I was an artist. This is this is where I would be. Right. So, like I can hear the miles. I can I can understand. I think a lot more about what. Like, even when you're talking about music and why you like certain things, I do think it helps flesh out for me that. So I don't know that I learned anything so much. And I'm going to chalk that up not to me not paying attention, but to me paying so much attention to y'all podcast and having listened to so much that I think these things just help. It helps, you know, expand the way that I view the way you're talking about albums. Like, the fact that on that Hell Hath No Fury episode, Mm -hmm. you both were very specific about Pusha T and his Biggie influences, oh, right? Really? Like, oh, yeah. like how annoying that was, right? Oh, look, look, I had to put, I had to put his verse in there. So you, so if you know, it's like if you know what you're you listening that, to, yeah, this yeah, is a right. straight Biggie it's riff, straight, straight. Yeah. And that makes riff. sense that that yeah. would be such a triggering point, right? Now, 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 because, right it makes Biggie, a lot right. of sense now because, yeah. like, okay, so Biggie is clearly like, oh, <laughs> right? And so that means when when people when people decide they want to go down Biggie Road, they better come correct. And if you don't, it's gonna stand out. It's gonna be annoying, right? And it 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 speaks that, so that's what I'm saying. It, it speaks to that type of stuff. Like I can I can understand it. And what I would think, what I would find interesting is, you know, if you all were doing different types, not just hip hop albums, but like other stuff. Like I know you mentioned you're gonna do Instant Vintage, and when you all did like Jill Scott and Erica Badu, like I think this stuff also helps me my understanding of like the R and B, the R and B end of it too. Like how like what kind of like the musical side of it as opposed to like the hip hop side. So so I think that that's that's what your list I think helped flesh out for me like understanding um you know like the 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 things that impacted you in such a way 
like Nine Inch Nails. Like I can see that because I, I understand. Like I listen to, you know, I listen to Nine Inch Nails. I listen to the I listen to Stone Temple Pilots. I listen to those. I listen to that's an early rock 90s, stuff. You know, mid, I li- 90s, but I listen yeah. to that. You know, and and I remember, I remember how that music made me feel, but also how it made me think about what you could do with music, right? And I think a lot of your, I think a lot of your list shows you to me shows me what you can do with music. Like everybody kind of shows me what you can do with, with 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 music. Um, yeah, I mean, my biggest like surprise was that you had two hip hop albums on on there. <laughs> uh, but I I know that you're a huge fan of both both, right? That, that I know you're a huge Wu fan, and I know you're a huge Biggie fan. So so the fact that of those two albums don't surprise me so much that they're both on. Um, I think the Miles was down was down the line. I figured you were gonna have a jazz album. Um, I didn't. I'm still not familiar with the Nine Inch Nails joint. So, but I've I've heard you talk about Trent Reznor and and uh, that song before. So I I guess I, I get it. So that was probably the biggest surprise. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just it's not an era of music that we really talk about, right? But I think a lot of my current musical tastes are kind of informed by that, right? So if you take like, if you take the acid jazz fusion that you, that the Panama was talking about right and then you kind of ex, you kind of combine that with contemporary experimental digital music you get a lot of like the alternative R&B things that I that I kind of like listen to the most on my playlist right so things that are very like musically expansive but then also have like these weird abstract digital sounds in there that like so long as the voice isn't like prohibiting the music like I'm willing to like ride with it and just like so long as you're using the voice as an like an instrument I can just get in all these different sounds like the new music that I like has a lot of that that feel to it yeah so that makes sense I I probably would have thought that you would have had like a Hendrix album in that yeah place I can see that as 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 opposed but I can see that makes sense. yeah it's like it was hard to it was hard to pinpoint yeah that. it's hard man five it's albums difficult. is difficult number yeah, one yeah. because you're music people. You're right. both, you know, it's it's hard to limit things. And it was even hard for me even thinking about it for myself. Like, like, damn, it's unfair to tell people five. But you know, like when you when you try to it, it's there are some people that could do that, right? You can they can easily write. I tell people all the time when I write about music that my my list of five today could be very different tomorrow, right? It just, you know, the day you ask me determines who I'm talking about, greatest artists, favorite artists, all yeah. that stuff. It just depends on the day. And that's um, why I wrote it. Right, because I had to, I had to memorialize it so I didn't change it in, on the fly. Like you say something, and like you said, I might be like, "That's true," you know. Curtis Mayfield, like, he's one of my favorite artists, or whatever, you know. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, so that should wrap it up for my top five influential albums, and stay tuned for for Yinka's top five. All right.